0: Okay, good evening, everybody. How are you? Good, wonderful. Thank you again uh, for serving this weekend at Moore. What a wonderful weekend that was, eh? What a great time that was having this room packed out with stinky teenagers. It was wonderful. Beautiful, smelly, stinky teenagers. I just love them. Uh, I think the ACT building, Saturday night, as we were like putting tables back and chairs, it smelled like stinky feet in that building and it needed to be aired out. So I think it is by now, which is good. Are your rooms aired out yet? Yeah? Good. Mish, thumbs up. You had three guys in there, right? Yeah. Windows open the whole time. Don, you had three guys in yours too, eh? Who had Who had more than... Four people with you and your roommates in your room. Did anybody have like four or more? Four or more? Five or more? Yeah? Yeah? Ariana Or Rihanna? You had six? Oh my goodness. Lord bless the children. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Uh, We're going to continue on in our series, The Kingdom Is Like Tonight. uh, And... We're going to go through another parable, we're going to go through another story, and uh, we're going to have a good time. But before we do, I want to share a bit about um, Austin and I's trip up to the Yukon uh, just over a week and a half ago. Huh? Look how cute that big giant is on a frozen lake, eh? <laughs> yeah, I've got, a, I got video footage of him singing Jesus Loves Me. If anybody wants to see that video footage, I will show you later. I didn't queue it up for this, uh, but I have video footage of him. Were you in snow pants or just big snow boots? Might have been in snow pants. Uh, all worship was led and done in snow pants up in the Yukon. So worship team, next time, could you wear snow pants? It would be really nice. Just as you get up on stage, that every time you step. It's wonderful. Who here has been to the Yukon before? Yeah, really? Right on. A couple people, you wish. I wish for you as well. It's a it's a fantastic place. Um, it looks like this for like ten months of the year, uh, and then two months of the year, it's like sunny and the sun is always shining and it's like somewhat warm. Uh, but it's just wonderful because the sun never really ever goes down. It never gets dark. Kind of where like it looks like right now is the darkest it gets in the middle of the summer. And it's just super fun. But more than just the light, uh, in the summer, uh, the culture that is up there is just fantastic, right? Like the people and the culture that were there, uh, I've been a few times, and every single time I leave the Yukon thinking, man, I love these people, and I love this culture, and if there was some way that I could bottle up that culture and have it here, that is where I would want to live. Like, that is the place that I would want to be, is in that culture, the values that they have, the people, how they interact with one another. They're so honest with who they are, to the point where it's so refreshing that what you see is just what you get with people in the Yukon. Like, they will tell you what they're thinking the moment that you meet them, like Sharon. Kim, do you remember Sharon? Okay, Sharon is a lovely lady. I don't have a picture of her, uh, but I haven't, I haven't seen Sharon for over seven years. Okay, last time I went up there, and the only time I ever see Sharon is when I'm in the Yukon. And we are Facebook friends, but we never message at all, ever, on Facebook. So there really is no friendship beyond the time that I'm up in the Yukon. So we get picked up from the airport and we go straight to the church. And Sharon is there at the church. And Sharon, to me, is like the quintessential example stereotype of a person who is like a Yukoner. She will just tell you what she is thinking and doesn't really care about how you're gonna react to what she's saying. And it's almost offensive, yet hilarious and refreshing all together at the same time. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know this type of people? So we get there and she asks Austin about like, what are you going to do next year? What are you going to do? Um, blah, blah, blah. What are you taking for the school year? And classic Austin's response. I don't know. I kind of want to travel. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Blah, 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 blah. Right. So, uh, then she goes on this whole rampage of like, oh, Baba college students are still just the same. And I was like, really? Tell me about it. She's like, They just freak out all the time about, I don't know what the Lord is going to do with my life, and I don't know where He's going to take me. And this was her response Oh, stop it already. Quit complaining about it. The Lord's going to lead you. Just wait, and He's going to show you. Stop complaining. Like, that's the first thing she said. The first thing she said when we met her in the church. And you know what? I found it so refreshing. (laughs) I found it so refreshing. I'm like, this is my kind of person. Just say it how it is. She's being so honest, she's not being rude. But she is just being honest and vulnerable in who she is. And I loved it. There's a different culture. There's a different vibe that is up there. And I think the reason why is because for literally, like, 10 months of the year, uh, life is difficult. Like, everything is frozen over. Uh, the camp, I can show you pictures later. But there's no electricity in any of the cabins. There's no running water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the Cooney boys are in the room. Michael, Emmett, I'm glad you guys are here. I'm going to take you guys to the Yukon next time I go. How about that? (laughs) So there's no, no electricity in the cabins. There is in like the main kitchen dining hall. And in the washrooms, when the washrooms are working, but the washrooms don't work in the winter because the pipes freeze over. And so they just keep the washrooms closed. You know what I'm talking about, Abigail. And there's no running water. They have to, like, bring water in. Uh, You use outhouses in the winter when it's minus 35 outside. And the only way that you keep your cabin warm is through a wood stove, and you have to like get the fire going in the evening. You got to stoke it and keep it going, and sometimes have to get up in the middle of the night. Uh, and you just need to survive; like you have to survive uh, because it's minus 35 out there. But what's really nice about that culture is that like. People know that we all have this survival reality, and so they help each other out a lot. They're always looking out for each other. They're always taking care of each other. They're always celebrating each other, like, all the time. It's a culture that I just love about the Yukon. If they know you, they, are, like, they will take care of you. Even if they don't know you, they will just accept you, and they will take care of you. Like, that's one thing that I just love about Sharon, I love about the whole crew up there, is that, like, if you go there, they will treat you like family no matter what. And that culture is just wonderful. I love it. And we're speaking a bit about culture and talking about what the kingdom is like as well, and the people who exist and live in the kingdom. And Jesus used multiple stories and examples to display the culture and the values and the people of who are in the kingdom of God. And so tonight, what we're going to look through is Luke chapter 12. So open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Or get out your phone if you use you version and you can tap it to highlight verses, which is wonderful. I'll have it up on the screen as well. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21 are the verses we're going to go through this evening. I'm reading from the ESV version. <clears throat> you there? You with me? Wonderful. I'm going to read from here to make sure it's the exact same what's on the screen. Verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This uh, 12th chapter in the book of Luke is a dynamic chapter, and this picture that uh, we have, can we go to the next slide of just the picture of Jesus on the boat with his disciples? Like, this is a good picture. Thank you for... Putting that together, Kim, uh, in the example of this chapter 12, in in chapter 12 specifically, Luke writes that there are thousands of people. So maybe we don't see thousands of people in this picture. But thousands of people, you can look in verse 1, it says that they're like stepping over each other, that they're milling about with one another. And Jesus is going back and forth from speaking to the crowd of thousands of people that are trampling on each other to speaking to his disciples having these like personal conversations with his disciples and then like speaking to the masses, thousands of people at a time and then going back and forth, disciples, the masses, disciples, the masses. And a unique setting to like in a public space like this where he's speaking to all of them to stop and refrain from his conversation and then just like continue on and teach his disciples. Kind of a funny, unique setting. And he has this like, I don't know, like a, like a Sunday afternoon chit-chat uh, with his disciples. You know, Sunday afternoon chit-chats that you'll just talk about like whatever. Topics just kind of vary and pretty much anything under the sun you'll talk about. Here are some of the things that he decided to chat about, his afternoon chat with his disciples. He talks about and warns them to beware of the spread of hypocrisy from the Pharisees. He's like, anything that is said in secret is going to come to light eventually. So don't be like them and hide things and keep things secret. It's all going to come out to light. So just don't be like them. Beware. He says, don't fear man. Yes, man can kill you, but God can send you to hell. So fear God instead. Good Sunday afternoon chat. He says, if you acknowledge me in public, I will acknowledge you before the angels. Oh, okay. But if you deny me, I'm going to deny you back. Just a nice Sunday afternoon chat with his disciples, right? (laughs) Oh, and he says, when you're arrested and you're accused in the synagogues, don't be anxious. Really? Okay. Like if I'm arrested and accused and put in front of leaders in the synagogue, I'm not to be anxious. He says, just trust the Holy Spirit who is with you. Don't worry about what you're to say. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Just a nice, light conversation with his disciples, right? Then somebody from the crowd hollers to Jesus, hey, I want some of the inheritance from my land. My brother's taken all of it. (laughs) Just out of nowhere. And Jesus says, hey, man, hey, I'm not the judge. I'm not the arbitrator of this situation. And then he speaks to the masses. Unique setting, I would say, the least, right? So here's this man who hollers to Jesus in the masses of the crowd concerned about his financial well-being now he may be mistreated he may not be mistreated there's no backstory about this person nonetheless he feels like he is being mistreated by a brother and so he approaches Jesus as one would approach a rabbi as one would approach a teacher saying I need some advice I need some help he wants him to be like an arbitrator to the situation but Really what this guy is looking for is an advocate on behalf of himself. Jesus, I need your help. And I think we've often come to the Lord in that same vein, right? Jesus, I I need some help. I need an advocate in my life. I have a situation that's at hand, and I need not just your assistance, but I need you to stand on my side and advocate for me. And sometimes we do that with great sincerity And sometimes we do that in great need, but I think we could all say we also sometimes do that in great selfishness. That There are times if we're honest with ourselves that we say, Jesus, I need you to do this for me, but really that need is more want. Anybody been there before? I think I've been there before. I know I have. And here this man is the same. Jesus responds to him and he says, take care. Be on your guard against all covetness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The book of Proverbs is known as a book about wisdom. It's known as a book that gives advice on how to be wise or how to live a, a, a way of a wise person. In the same vein, it's also a book of warnings of how not to be a fool. Right? A fool. Proverbs is about a warning not to land on the side of being a fool, but rather live a life in a way in which that you will be considered wise. So warning is against being a fool. A fool is one who does not take advice from people or leaders in their life, but rather they just trust themselves. A fool is one who is constantly spewing out words and never being silent. Always has an answer, never keeps their mouth closed. A fool is one who dishonors their parents a fool is one who is reckless. A fool is one who is careless. But here we have in this story that Jesus shares to the crowd of a man who has a property and resources and food and grain, and yet God calls him a fool. He calls him a fool. But why would God call this man a fool? Again, this is a story. It's not a real human being. But in the story in which that Jesus is portraying this spiritual truth, he's acknowledging the man to be a fool. He's not a fool because he's a farmer. Right? It, it's good that he has property. It's good that he has a job. He's an accomplished human being. He's not a fool because he's a hard worker. Hard working is actually a very good and very bad biblical thing to do. Amen? (laughs) Right? We we were created to work before the fall. God created man and woman to work the ground. Paul says in uh, in the second book of uh, Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica, I love this. This is the classic slogan for any church like uh, work be potluck. He who refuses to work shouldn't be given free lunch. Like so true, eh? If you don't work, you don't get fed. You gotta earn your keep. Paul also says in First Timothy, the person who would not work and take care of his own household is worse than an infidel. Okay, this is serious business. We we gotta work, right? Work is a very good, godly thing to do. So he's not a fool because he works hard. He's not a fool because he's accomplished. He's, he's not a fool because he's rich or he's profitable. Wealth isn't inherently a bad thing, right? Job was wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Solomon was wealthy. There's an example of great biblical men who are wealthy. But God calls this person a fool because of the success that the world would see him as, the Lord looks opposite, The life of the kingdom is opposite. Here is a hardworking man who owns a property, who makes a good return, setting himself up for a good future is everyone's dream, and yet God still calls him a fool. So why then is he considered a fool? We're we're gonna put that scripture verse back up there, and I, I bolded some letters here so we can... And I kind of made them a little larger. Hopefully you can see it as we read it out. As I read it out. I won't make you read with me. (laughs) And this is what he thought to himself. Jesus is saying this. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Six times he uses the word I in his story. Jesus does. Six times that word I puts the focus upon himself. I did this, I will do this, I will tear down, I will build up, I will say to my soul, this inner reflection of pride, this inner reflection of vanity, God says, you fool. Not only is I mentioned six times in these three short verses, The word my is mentioned five times. He says, My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, and my soul. The rich man is a fool because he is selfish. The rich man is a fool because he is vain and conceited. It's not because he is wealthy, it's because he is greedy. The main issue of this parable is not wealth. It's his attitude of obtaining the wealth and how he hoards it and does not share it. So the essence of this parable, the essence of this story and what the kingdom is like is that greed keeps us from resources that God brings your way. It keeps us hidden. It keeps us hoarding. It keeps us down. And the Lord desires for us to live in a very different posture and a very different way. And I believe that as this man would have asked Jesus about the inheritance of his father's land that his brother may have been keeping it to himself, Jesus could sense the greed in this man's voice. He could sense the greed and the selfishness in this man's request of Jesus. My crops my grains, my goods, is the man in the parable. Like we can we can plant and we can sow and we can water and we can uh, reap, but we can't grow the crops. We can tend to and take care, but we don't have the power to create and to grow like God does. So this man is a fool. He's puffed up with pride. His pursuit of possessions and comfort led him to neglect a pursuit of God. Even saying, my soul, oh soul, relax. My soul, relax. I'm going to take care of you. Like he has the power to possess and save, excuse me, like he possesses the power to save his soul. So he may be physically rich in resources, but he is spiritually poor. Physically rich, but spiritually poor. Jesus says in Matthew, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. It's only fitting at some point as we talk about the kingdom life, the kingdom of God is like, we must talk about finances. We must Talk about money. Jesus continuously talked about money to his disciples, continuously talked about how they steward and handle their resources and their finances. And we cannot be people of the kingdom, we cannot be people of God if we do not steward our finances well. And you might be thinking, well, hey, I'm a Bible college student, I don't have a ton of that. It's not about amount. It's not about amount. It's about what we do with that amount. About this, it's not about the wealth, but it's in which he attributes it and how he stewards it. God calls him a fool. God calls him a fool. So the rich man is a fool because I'm going to list off four things for you, okay? And the first one is this. The rich man is a fool because he does not give God any of the credit. He gives God no credit whatsoever to his resources. My crops and my grains and my produce and my barns and my soul, the I, 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 I. And how often do we not give God the credit for the blessings that he's given to us in our lives? Oh, too often. Even in the simplicity of our essential needs of food, how often do we just take for granted the essential necessities of food? Right, we're blessed here. We can really make this personal as we talk about our cafeteria. We can really make this personal in the fact that somebody else buys, purchases, prepares, sets out, and cleans up our food for us. Right? Right? We are super blessed for those who live in the dorm on campus here. We are super blessed that we have supermarkets, yes, that charge us way too much, but nonetheless provide the resources for us to get food that we don't have to go out and hunt it ourselves. Yes, some of us would like to go hunt it ourselves. Irregardless, it's there for us. And God provides for our essential needs. He provides for us. The simplicity of food, even even health and hygiene, community and, oh man, our geographical region and the beauty of what these days have been. Like what about creation and education? We can just take for granted so often the essential needs that God provides for us every day. Yeah? And we see this man do the same. He is a fool because he does not give God the credit. He's also a fool because he's only living for himself. Only living for himself. I think most people, and this isn't like Christian, non-Christian. This is unfortunately infiltrated into believers as well. Uh, Most people define their lives. Maybe they wouldn't explain it this way, but they live it this way about in a way that we gather for ourselves resources and stuff, right? We gather possessions. We gather things. We love to go out and purchase things and have things. And there's security that we have when we have stuff in our grasps. And life can be defined by what vehicle we have or what clothes we wear or what shoes we have on or what cell phone or computer or whatever it may be, what level of education we have, what kind of home we have, what kind of place we live in, all of that. We can define our lives by these things that we gather. And the way of the kingdom is not about things that we just gather, but it's the things in which that we give away. So Jesus says to this man, be careful. Be careful. Be careful, pay attention. The greed would not take over your heart, because it can ruin relationships, it can ruin friendships. Kingdom Living has more to do with giving away and being generous than just making a good return on our resources. Uh, he's also a fool because he stores up treasures in the wrong places, stores up treasures in the wrong places. A life attached to things creates a stumbling block in our spiritual walk. And it also increases anxiety in our life. A life attached to things creates a stumbling block in our spiritual journey, and it increases our anxiety. Uh, I don't know if uh, you guys have seen the, like, It's probably been a trend for a while, but it's newish to me to seeing on social media. Like when people film themselves decluttering their kitchens and their living rooms. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's this trend where these people are like, oh my goodness, I'm so full of anxiety and stress. And so I'm just going to get rid of everything in this house and I'm going to declutter. And then now this space is like simple and easy and clean. And because of that, I too am going to feel nice and easy and things are going to be simple and good. I'm going to be at peace. You seen those trends? Yeah? Okay. So the same concept that this rich fool has about believing that things are going to bring him peace and rest is the same concept that the simplicity is going to bring people deep rest. Like I'm a, I'm a person who likes a clean space by all means. I'm a person who likes things neat and tidy and not overloaded with stuff. I get that. But a deep sense of peace and rest is never going to come from lots of stuff or the simplicity of stuff. It just never will. And so he stores his treasures in the wrong places. He builds his barn. He builds a new barn. He puts all his stuff, his resources, his produce, in his new barn, and he lays up treasures on earth rather than laying up treasures in eternity. And he makes plans, but he leaves God out of his plans. He leaves God out of his plans. That scripture verse of like, oh, now my soul can rest, it says. That I can eat, that I can drink, and be merry. Which Jesus uses words of Solomon that are are good words from the book of Ecclesiastes. Right? In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes... I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life as God has given them under the sun. And so there's good to eating and to drinking and to being merry and to enjoying his work and his toil. There's good in that. So it's not about the concept of food or drink or money, or resources, but it's in how one handles their food, their money, their drink, and resources. He leaves God out of it. He wanted to rest. He thought, if I have all this stuff, that means I can rest. I've worked hard, so then I can retire early, and, I, and my soul can rest. And he's convinced himself. He's convinced himself That the things of this earth, the things that he wants to meet, the desires of his body will meet the needs of his soul. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Money and wealth do not make life easier. And we can convince ourselves of that, right? Oh, if I just make this much money this year, my life is going to be so much better. (laughs) Oh, if I could just make this much when I graduate, I could make sure I could pay for rent in my car and everything will be good and it'll be awesome. And if I just have more of this, then my life is going to be good. We can get caught up into that thinking that if I just have this or if I just accomplish all of my homework, then I then life will be simple and easy, and I will never be stressed again. And if I just complete this, that'll be done and out of the way, and then I will be good. And we begin to speak just like this rich fool I, 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 I. And Jesus is saying, There's so much more. Because in that evening, his soul was required of him. The man's life ended. And Jesus asks the question. All these things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? There's no legacy that he has left. There's no family. There's nobody in which that can be blessed by his hard work. He was selfish. And so he reminds the people, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is Jesus talking to the crowd talking to the masses. And then what does he do? He turns to his disciples. It says it. Verse 22. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, this is a good conversation here. This is a good conversation that he has with his disciples that I think would be good for us to work through right now. I don't have it up on the screen. So if you have your Bibles, open up to verse 22. If you've got your phone, open up to verse 22 and chapter 12 of the book of Luke. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. The simple necessities of life. If we worry about those things, the grapple of greed will take over our thinking. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if a worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? I think of the Israelites in this moment when the Lord provided manna for them and they weren't to take more than just that for the allotment of the day. I think there's two reasons why the Lord did that. Because he wants his children to trust in him that he will provide for them, was reason number one, that they daily would trust in Jesus, trust in their Lord. And two, because he takes great pleasure as their father to provide for them. Two reasons, so that his children would trust him and so that he can take pleasure in providing for them. The same is true for us, that we're not to worry, that we're to trust in his provision so we can be faithful in trusting and then he can be generous and enjoy the provision. Verse 27, look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? (laughs) Jesus just says it the way it is, eh? It can almost come across as offensive, can it not? Why do you have so little faith? Don't be concerned about what you eat and what you drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Some of you need to read that again. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. I love that he says this to his disciples. So don't be afraid, little flock. (laughs) Little flock, don't be afraid. For it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? What a promise. For it gives the Father great happiness to give you his kingdom. He doesn't do it out of obligation. He doesn't do it because he has to. He does it out of great joy and great excitement and great compassion and great happiness to give you his kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Oh, that turned quickly. Okay. Wow. I have to what? (laughs) Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You guys can make your way on back up, please, and thank you. It takes great joy for the Lord give you his kingdom, to bless you with gifts and to shower you with gifts. But the kingdom is like people who take those gifts and those blessings and they share it with everyone around. They don't hoard it for themselves. They don't hold on to it. They don't plan ahead to think, okay, what can I do to get more of it so that I can keep it, and therefore I don't need to trust the Lord anymore. No, it's about giving it away, being generous with those resources, caring for others well, trusting that God will provide for again for me in the future. And God, with great happiness and great joy, repeats the process day in and day out. I want to challenge some of you in the area of finances. I'm not going to do the pastoral talk of tithing, although I believe each of you should tithe to your local church. But I want to challenge each of you in the area of how we care for people. Like it's just going to cost us. I'm so convicted by this, especially within the local church and especially with leaders in the local church. We budget everything and we make possibility of budgets and provisions and finances to serve and to bless, but we always are handing in resources or receipts, I mean, to get back, and I'm not saying that's a negative thing, but if we never actually, if it never actually costs us to care for somebody, I just think we're limiting our care for people. And I mean that, like, emotionally, mentally, I mean that financially, like God calls us to be generous in our giving. I've been convicted of this in my own life, that, Lord, I want to give so I can receive your blessing. I just don't think God's generosity works that way. I think the blessing is the generosity. I think the blessing is the giving. That we can care for people when it costs us, and the receiving back is just the blessing of being generous towards them. That is kingdom living. That is the culture and the value of the kingdom. So what is the kingdom like? What is the culture and the values of the people of the kingdom? And again, the kingdom is not like Yukon where it's a geographical location that's a frozen tundra for 10 months of the year. Well done, Jorah. God's kingdom exists wherever God is king. That means in your finances. That means in your resources. That means in your posture, in your attitude, how you handle your stuff, how you uh, manage your resources, how you steward your finances. Is God king of every single area in your life? Bless you. The culture and value of its people is this. It's where people lay up treasures in heaven and not just on earth. It's where people lay up treasures for others and not just themselves. It's where they care more about eternity than they do of earthly pleasures. The value and the culture and their people, they don't worry about the provisions of everyday life. They have great faith. They don't, they don't fear that God is not going to provide for them. They don't doubt it. They don't worry about it. They're not surrounded by that anxiety and that worry of, oh no, like our world stresses about it. They seek the kingdom of God and they see the kingdom of God in his creation, in the birds and in the flowers and in the fields a little bit easier on days like today. Amen? They're intentional about caring for everyone around them. They sell possessions just to give to the needs of other people. That's the value and culture and people of the kingdom. They seek the kingdom of God with no fear or worry or doubt that their heavenly Father and who takes great joy in taking care of them. And would you stand with me on this last one? The the values and the culture and the people of the kingdom, they're fools. (laughs) They're fools to the world. Like we are fools to do so in the eyes of our world. To sell our possessions and just give to others? What? To make sure that all the hard work that I've done to gain and receive, I'm going to share it for those who haven't done the hard work and I'm going to care for them because they need to be cared for is foolishness to the ways of this world. They are the hoarding, the receiving, the holding, the eyes and the mys. But the kingdom is opposite. The kingdom is us kingdom is the collective the kingdom is taking care of one another and paul in his words to the corinthians he says god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are i love that so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we can boast in the Lord, not in the eyes and the minds. The kingdom is like people who look like fools to the world, and yet boast in the Lord the entire time. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who provides. We thank you that you are a God with great joy and happiness, loves to give your kingdom, your values, your culture, your teaching. You desire for us to be people who are eternal-minded, not just seeking earthly pleasures that we are seeking you first and trusting in you first and putting our faith in you first, knowing and believing that the, the needs and the necessities and the cares of this world we will be supplied for because you care for us. Your word says that we are to cast our anxieties onto you for you care for us. So Lord, I pray for those in this room who need to cast their anxiety towards you now. Would you care for them? Would you remind them that you are a father who provides, you're a father who blesses, that you're a father who leads, that you're a father who guides, that you're a father who loves, and you're a father who takes great pleasure in giving to his children. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let's sing together to finish off tonight.